Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 33 of the OS Training Podcast. I'm Steve Birch, and in this week's episode, I'm talking with Robbie McCullough from Beaver Builder. Now, Robbie is from Silicon Valley originally, and with his two co-founders, he started the Beaver Builder plugin, which has half a million installs now, and is one of the best-loved page builders in WordPress. Although he's from Silicon Valley, he takes a very irreverent and relaxed approach to building the product. They have a kind of irreverent name, Beaver Builder, with a very cute little mascot. Their whole approach to newsletters and to dealing with their customers is very friendly and warm. And just before we started the podcast, Robbie told me that he's just hit the road to become a digital nomad. Even though he's running a large and successful business, he's going to be on the road and traveling for the next year or so. So we talk about that for a while and his approach to business. And we also talk about the elephant in the room towards the end, Gutenberg, and how the Beaver Builder team are going to deal with it. Hey, Robbie, welcome. Hello, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Robbie, I'm over in Florida. Where are you today? I am in Lake Tahoe area. I'm right on the border of California and Nevada and doing a bit of an extended workcation out here, trying to learn how to snowboard. <laughs> oh, really? So you're from Silicon Valley originally? Yeah, I am. I just actually, I was in the Santa Cruz Mountains area for the last five years. I grew up in Silicon Valley, but I just gave up my place there this month. I'm going to try a stint at doing the digital nomad lifestyle. So I'm doing some traveling. I'm doing a few weeks up here in Tahoe, and then I'm heading down to Southern California for a couple weeks for a work event, and then hoping to go abroad and bounce around and do Southeast Asia and, and Europe and maybe South America. I haven't planned things out <laughs> at all. I'm kind of free, free winging it. But yeah, that's, that's the plan for the, the year or longer. Oh, so literally a few weeks ago, you you packed up, you hit the road. <laughs> you don't really have a clear plan on when you, where you're going. Right now, it's learning to snowboard. Next, it could be something a little different, and then you're making it up as you go along. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I, I just moved and I, gosh, I, moving is such a pain. I'm, I'm there, there was a little while there while I was, while I was in the middle of the move where I was kind of having a bit of a crisis, like existential, like, oh my gosh, this is a horrible idea. When my life was in, like, I, I, this might sound silly, but I, I needed to trim my fingernails and I couldn't for the life of me find my fingernail trimmer. And that was where I, I was just like, I was, my life felt super chaotic and, yeah. and, uh, um, but I, I, so I'm lucky enough. My folks have a place not too far from where I lived in the Bay Area. So I'm, I sold a bunch of stuff, got rid of a bunch of stuff, but I'm, I'm building a storage shed out in their yard, and I have a bed to sleep. So my home base is still going to be Bay Area, and the, thanks to the generosity of my folks, I can go and do laundry there and reset between trips. Yeah, now that I've finished the move and kind of have that uh, have that set up, I'm, and I'm on the road, I'm I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I've been out I've been out snowboarding. I got a place that's about two minutes away from a ski slope, and got a season pass, so I've been going out snowboarding just about every day for the last week and a half or so here. Did you know how to snowboard before this, or are you just learning completely from scratch? I went out once at the end of last season and ended up just sitting in the snow on my butt the whole time um, <laughs> and falling over and over again. And then, so I took a lesson at the, at the beginning of this season, but no, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. Although I've, I've been progressing now, I think the trick really is to get a lot of hours out there on the slopes. So I went from like, they call it fallen leafing. If you've, if you've snowboarded or know anyone that does, like it's where you just kind of go back and forth like a fallen leaf. 
So I was fallen leafing on the uh, bunny hill for <laughs> at the beginning of the season, but now I actually hit my first black diamond yesterday, and I've been learning how to carve and ride switch. So things are starting to click finally. But that's the selling point of snowboarding, right? It's meant to be much easier to learn than than skiing. You can be up and running on a on a black diamond in in weeks rather than months or years. You know, it's funny. I've my uncle is a really uh, long time fantastic skier, and then I have some friends that have been snowboarding. I think everyone thinks that they're downhill method of choice, be it ski or snowboard, is the harder one to learn or like one it's harder to learn or the other is like it, it's easy to learn, hard to master. And to be honest, I'm not really sure. I've heard, I mean, well, in my experience with snowboarding, one of the tricky parts when I was first starting was learning how to navigate when you're not on the hill. So just like skating, they call it, from the bottom of the hill to the lift I found that really, really awkward, and I fell, you know, a number of times just trying to get into the lift line. So I saw the guys with their skis and the ski poles being able to, like, push themselves along with the ski poles. That looked way easier. And same thing, getting off of the lift was another challenge getting started. But I can't really speak to, uh, I mean, I think they're both probably difficult to master and have their own challenges when it comes to learning. When I was younger, I lived in Japan for a few years and learned to snowboard a little bit and my expertise after about two weeks was rolling down the hill and knocking over lots of little Japanese kids. <laughs> they, this was about 20 years ago. There's probably some Japanese kids 20 years later who are grown up now and think, what was that idiot, the, that idiot British guy doing knocking me over? Um, <laughs> it's hard, even especially when you're going slowly. It's probably easier when you're going fast, but when you're going slowly, you're hopping from the, the lift to the, the top of the slope, your feet are tied together on this board. Yeah, I noticed I'm fortunate that I've been here all week and I've been able to like go hit the slopes on the weekdays when there aren't that many crowds. And it's scary when there's a bunch of people out there because like not only are there guys that are really good that are going super fast and shooting by you, but then you have the the kind of beginner folks where I mean I just was a beginner so I was one of these people but that don't really have the uh self-awareness of where they are on the mountain and they're just trying not to fall so they're kind of veering all over the place like <laughs> I I found it more like kind of dangerous and, and frightening going down the bunny hill yesterday. What is it? It's Monday today, so it's Sunday. Really busy out there than I did when I was just getting started, but I had the place almost to myself. Like going on the highway with 20 learner drivers, yeah. 20 average people, and 20 people in Ferraris. That are just trying to get by you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what inspired you to get out on the road and to, to leave the home you've lived in for 30-plus for years? We are a distributed company. So I've been working remotely for about four or so years. So our company is uh, Beaver Builder. We're a page builder for WordPress. And prior to doing a software product, we were a web design agency. And when we were a web agency, we all had an office. There was three of us, myself and my two business partners. We had an office in Campbell, California. And both of my business partners, their families grew. They, they had children. And at the same time, the Bay Area housing market has just been getting extremely competitive and extremely expensive. So they both kind of outgrew their places in the Bay Area and decided to look elsewhere and moved about two or three hours outside of town. So at that point, when they moved, we decided to shift the company from being in office to being distributed. And so, yeah, the, the distributed and remote work lifestyle has been both kind of, it's like bittersweet. I love it. There's immense freedom. I can work from anywhere, but I also find it like a little isolating. So I was thinking about doing this travel travel stint for, for a while. I don't know what finally made me pull the trigger. 
But I found that I was doing a bunch of traveling and I was paying rent in the Bay Area and it just didn't make sense. Like I probably spent two or three months away from the place that I was paying for. And I thought I should just, you know, get rid of this place and travel full time. I might be telling me that you had gone on at least one trip with Mendel Kurland, who was running trips overseas for geeks, basically encouraging people to get out of their shell, to have a digital detox, to to change up their environment. Where did you go with him? Yeah, yeah. We went to Iceland. So Mendel's company is called Geek Adventures. And I'm a huge fan of what he's doing for kind of all the reasons I just mentioned. But I think the kind of the premise or the, the motto of his company is that he takes people that he knows through his tech network. And and also he, he has another, uh, it's called Hiking with Geeks. I'm not sure exactly, I don't, I'm not sure if it's a company or some sort of a nonprofit or just an organization, but it's a, maybe it's a meetup group. But the idea, yeah, is, you know, we spend all this time connected to our phones and to our computer screens and, and plugged in, if you will. So he tries to host these trips where you disconnect and you're out, you know, either camping or traveling. It's funny that, so we went to Iceland together there was, uh, it was myself and him, and then about, I, th- I want to say about 25 other people on that trip. And, you know, the whole idea was this, it was the digital detox. And so we were going to this relatively remote area of Iceland, and we got out there. <laughs> it's funny, everyone had perfect cell phone reception. And so <laughs> Mendel was kind of like slapping himself on the forehead because, you know, he sold it as this digital detox. But interestingly, the country of Iceland and the community out there, after they had that big volcano, I think it was in 2009, there was a giant volcano that like shut down air travel throughout Europe for a few days. They made a point to install cell phone infrastructure into some in the very remote areas of Iceland as kind of an advanced warning, emergency warning system. Oh, okay. So they had fantastic coverage out there. So I, I admit I, I might have like done some Instagramming from the top of the uh, the mountain. I think one guy got a couple games of uh, Hearthstone in. <laughs> but so Mendel needs to come with a bucket or something for everyone to put their cell phone in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so you started doing a few of these and then decided to take the leap to do it full time. Do you you feel as if you're working less? You feel as if you're slowing down when you become a digital nomad and on the road. I know certainly for me, if I'm at home and working in my home office, there's a tendency to to put in 10, 12 hours a day without even thinking about it. You find that if your, your pace of work is changing now you're on the road? It's a good question. I personally, I've, I find that I go through kind of phases of very, very high productivity and, and phases of, of lower productivity. I think there's some things that lend themselves to having a full kind of a keyboard mouse and like a big monitor setup. So if I'm doing any kind of like design or web development work, I'd find that a little bit harder to do on the road. But things like writing, I find that I'm a lot more productive when it comes to writing when I'm out on the road, especially like working from coffee shops or things like that. So currently, I'm in like a very high productive mode. It, it tends to happen too during the summertime. During the summer, I do a lot of camping and music festivals and things where I actually am kind of off the grid. But during the winter is when I try and like really buckle down and, and get a lot done. So there's that. But then I, I've also, when I've traveled, ex, like done extended travel before, even when I had my place, there was almost this kind of feeling of like guilt or, or responsibility. Like, I, you know, everyone knows I was going to be out doing this trip or that trip, but I didn't want to disappear off the map. There's almost like more of a motivation to keep productive just to prove that I'm, you know, not, uh, not slacking on my responsibilities or that, you know, even prove to myself that I'm able to do this. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's different working on the road. 
I don't find that I lose productivity. I think it's just a kind of different type of productivity. Well, you're the, one of the three co-founders of the company, so to some extent you feel you're setting the tone for everyone else. If you're constantly Instagramming trips or days on the snowboard, then <laughs> you're setting a, a deliberate tone for the company, whether that's the one you want to or not. Do you feel as if perhaps as you get older and Beaver Builder gets more successful that that's almost like the tone you want to set? I know there's a book out recently by um, the, the Basecamp guys <laughs> taking or advocating a very deliberate approach to having a more relaxed way to run your business, to to put less stress on your staff, to allow them to enjoy more of a personal life? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, that, I mean, that makes me think we, we've been fortunate that, you know, as the company's grown, we're about to sell, Beaver Builder is about to have its fifth birthday this year. So we've been going for about five years. And, and in the early days, before we had a lot of employees and a lot of support from a team, it really was a lot more of like the hustle and grind lifestyle. And I think that kind of trend or, you know, it used to be almost like a cliche in Silicon Valley or in the, the kind of startup scene of like, you know, if you're not working 10, 12 hours a day and taking weekends off, like, are you really working? Like, the, the, you know, it's all about hustle and grind. And, and I think we're starting to see sort of a shift in just the whole, the ecosystem as a whole, recognizing that that's not necessarily, you know, a healthy way to live, nor is it productive, right? So yeah, our, I think our role as as co-founders and, and business owners has shifted a lot. We've been able to bring on support and help from our team to kind of help with the day-to-day responsibilities, which gives us, I mean, we're, we're working like, we've been doing some work on a new product right now. Um, it's it's still very like experimental. We don't have anything really to particularly to share on what it is, or we're just, that's kind of one of the goals for 2019 is to release a new product. And back when we were, you know, answering all the support tickets ourselves and doing all of the development ourselves and fixing all of the bugs and doing all of the community outreach and evangelism, we, we didn't have time to go and build things, which is really, I think, where where we, it's the work we enjoy most is, is the kind of creative part. So yeah, you start from this creative space when you're, you know, running a business or starting a business, you're building something, it's new, it's growing, but then as it grows, it becomes almost more of like a maintenance job um, that takes away from the time to, to create new things. Yeah. Once you get to a certain size, there's a limit to how creative you can be. Uh, you have a massive audience that expects certain things that are maybe have been with you for five years doing things in a certain way and every change has to become more incremental, perhaps a little less creative. And it always struck me looking at Beaver Builder that creative is one word, perhaps um, whimsical. It's only every time I look at the Beaver Builder logo, I get a smile, which is probably what you guys intended. Like the, the name is puts a smile on your face. The logo is a cute little beaver. And you seem to have a whole approach to building Beaver Builder. That is very <laughs> laid back, very designed to put a smile on people's faces. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that was, it's both unintentional and intentional in some ways. We, the three of us, so I, I love telling the story. So Justin and Billy were my two business partners, met. Justin was playing guitar in a punk rock band and Billy was managing the local music venue. And that's how they met. And this was before I, I knew them. And then... Uh, I met them through a Craigslist ad, but I guess we we were all we used to what what did I used to say we were all kind of uh, rebels that came together. I, I think 
we get to our personalities get to come through our brand. You, you mind me uh, asking what kind of a Craigslist ad it was? Was it yeah. for musicians? You guys were going to form a band together? <laughs> no, so yeah, at that point, they had started uh, Fastline Media, which is the parent company, and it was the name of our web agency. Um, and this was actually, so I mentioned that they were outgrowing their houses and having children and all that. So Billy was expecting twins, twin boys at that point in time. So the agency was growing. Billy had twins on the way, and they wanted to bring on some extra help. So it was a web development design position. Uh, and I remember the the tagline or the the line of the Craigslist ad said it said something along the lines of like if you want to join like a quick growing Silicon Valley startup where you can learn on the job and like hone your web development skills you know this is the one it's funny because like they they wrote it in a way that was very kind of traditional and uh, or, or you know using all the Silicon Valley buzzwords and I saw it and I was like oh this is for me. And then I, I so it's when my dad actually told me he's like son go buy yourself a nice suit you know invest in yourself for this interview and so I went and bought you know, a nice suit. And then I spent, you know, like for, at the time for me, especially a lot of money on it. Uh, and then I got a text from Billy. This is the day before the interview. And he's like, Hey, by the way, like, don't dress up. Like we're super casual here. <laughs> I was just like, Oh my God. <laughs> but, Did I keep the receipt? Could, could yeah. The suit well, <laughs> I ended up wearing it, and I, but I just, I rolled up my sleeves. That was my solution. So I went in there and like, you know, he was wearing jeans and a t-shirt and uh, it was, you know, has, has like a really good set of tattoos. And I came in and then, you know, <laughs> in my in my nice suit, but with no tie, and I rolled the sleeves up. And he's like, "Oh, I thought we said don't dress up." And I probably told him the story, and he thought it was funny. But then, yeah, yeah, the rest is history. I managed to land the gig, and and we started working together. And then we started Beaver Builder. The original plan was it was going to be like a separate company that the three of us were going to do together. But then it ended up kind of engulfing the client services business as it started growing. So, was there anything that really? triggered the growth, the success of Beaver Builder? You've gone from zero users to half a million in five years or so. That must have taken some tricks, some, some different way of thinking. What do you attribute that rapid growth to? You know, we were fortunate. I think in the WordPress space, you see a lot of kind of solopreneurs or, or people that start products or plugins, themes, whatever it may be, as a side project in addition to their maybe full-time job. We were so there was three of us, and we had a web agency that was that was successful. It was you know paying the bills. So Justin is our lead developer. He started working on Beaver Builder as like that kind of classic side project. He went home in the evenings, and it was just kind of this hacking project. And then as it started kind of becoming something substantial, I mean we we, we all started using it on our projects and and. It was like we were like, wow, this is really good. There, you know, we we'd used a few page builders before at the time, and and they just like it had a lot to be desired. So you're a WordPress agency, knocking up WordPress sites for your customers, maybe dabbling in some of the other page builders on the market, and yep. you decided it could be done better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we we had this. I guess that that was one of the reasons I think we were able to build a good product is that we were literally like we were hands on using it. We were the customers that we eventually learned that we were trying to target, and we had a lot of experience in that space. And then we, but we also kind of had the benefit of having the agency work. So for a while there, we were splitting. Like we would answer tickets that came in in the morning, and then we would all knock out a few hours of client service work, and then we'd do you know some more Beaver Builder work in the evenings. But it wasn't like a, there was three of us that were able to all contribute our time to it. And it wasn't like the sole source of income for the business. So we were almost able to like leverage the client service business and pour and kind of invest some of that momentum into Beaver Builder. 
and then we got really fortunate too to have uh you know really instill a, a very like fanatical user base like we have great users that are really passionate about our projects so a lot of our early growth came from word of mouth I kind of gravitated towards the marketing side of things, but I, I didn't have a background in marketing or any experience. So, you know, it was, it was kind of a happy accident. Um, and then also a testament too to, to Justin and our, our development team is that the, the product, it's really well built. It's, it, it's good software. I always used to say it's, it makes my job easy because this is a great product and, and people, you know, we we're lucky it seemed to resonate with people. Was there a moment when you thought, okay, I need to quit the agency and we should go and do this full time? Was there a... A sudden spurt of growth or? Yeah. So one of the big kind of turning points or initial traction points was we got an article from Chris Lemma, who's a blogger in the WordPress space. Uh, he works at Liquid Web now. Um, but at the time, I think he might have been full-time blogging. But anyways, he, he had a very popular blog readership of WordPress users. And he wrote an article about Beaver Builder. He became one of our kind of early evangelists. And so that was like when we started seeing, like after that article came out, like things started really, really uh, blossoming. And then he invited us to a mastermind conference that he's been organizing called Cabo Press. And this was, I think, four years ago. So this was when we were about one year in. And so that's basically for those people that haven't seen it, that's a small group of people that go down to the tip of, um, oh, what's the peninsula in Mexico? Uh, Baja, California. Yeah. And have a little meeting and not... Nowhere near the size of a WordCamp. This is more like 10 or 15 people. Yeah, or I think it was around 30 people, but it was very intimate, small group, all for the most part business owners. Usually there was two camps. There was either plug-in software businesses and then also service businesses, agencies and such. So he, he invited us to that. I, I remember the email came through. It was like, you guys, because again, this was <laughs> kind of like my suit. It, it wasn't the cheapest price tag. And we were trying to justify this. We're like, oh, we're going to go spend, you know, thousands of dollars to go be on a beach. Like, is this a good use of our time and, and our money? And he wrote us a, an email saying, you guys, like, I, I really think you should, I'm not just trying to like get you to buy tickets to my conference. I think this would be a really good thing for where you guys and your business or where you guys are at in your business. And to his, to his credit, he was totally right. So I, I lovingly and jokingly called that my MBA in a weekend. Like I learned so much just from getting to talk to other business owners and people that had gone through what we were going through in terms of like, you know, hiring people and, and marketing and, and building software and, and growing a community. It really was immensely beneficial. But so one of the things that came up during that conference and that we heard this advice from multiple people was to, that we should choose one or like you're never going to be as good doing two things as you will if you just pick one. So we had the client service business, and then we had the product business. And at the time, it was like, we just were kind of scraping out enough revenue from Beaver Builder that it was a possibility, you know, like we were able to pay the bills with what Beaver Builder was bringing in. And that was when it was, it was on the advice of a number of mentors and, and, you know, far more experienced entrepreneurs to double down and, and go all Beaver Builder. So that was, that was the, the kind of tipping point for us. So you, you got started, it was kind of scratching your own itch and focused on making it easy to put up websites for clients. But over the years, you seem to have moved towards the, well, I was going to say away, but I guess maybe back towards where you were originally in terms of you now target professional users much more heavily. Obviously, the elephant in the room is Gutenberg at the moment. And Gutenberg is, well, everyone listening has probably got an opinion on it. But Gutenberg is fairly basic, certainly a pretty long way away from 
being a competitor to Beaver Builder at the moment, even on the simple end, Beaver Builder is entirely on the front end. Gutenberg is entirely on the admin. Beaver Builder does the whole layout. Gutenberg just does the editor so far. You seem to have moved towards the more professional, the more perhaps agency user to distinguish yourself from some from Gutenberg and some of the uh, more basic page builders out there? Yeah, it's interesting. It took us a long time to figure out who our customers were. I mean, kind of, again, talking about like the, the growth of, of us as marketers and, and, and product developers and designers. When we first got started, we weren't really ever trying to target a specific customer segment. We were just like, hey, this is our page builder. We hope you buy it. We hope you like it. We hope you use it, you know? And there were always like kind of two camps of users or, or just like easy groups that we could identify. And one was the the freelancer, the agency, someone that was building websites for other people, which kind of represented what we were doing. And again, how we kind of built the product to, to serve our own needs. We found that in that that kind of segment, people also realized the benefit of using a page builder because it would speed up your, your development process. And you could also hand off sites to your clients or customers, and then they could potentially jump in and make changes themselves. Whether you wanted them to or not was a, you know, a different discussion. But then there was also this kind of camp of users where maybe they were hobbyists or small business owners that needed a website. And someone said, oh, you should use you know, WordPress. And then from there, someone would say, oh, well, if you're not comfortable writing HTML code, or if you're not interested in learning web development, you should use a page builder like Beaver Builder because you don't need to you know, know any code. Uh, you can build your pages. So in response to Gutenberg and, and learning about Gutenberg, I guess it was over two years ago now, and I think where we see Gutenberg really making an impact is, is more on that kind of hobbyist, small business owner side, like someone that's not particularly interested in, in becoming a web designer or a developer. So we've started to cater our feature set a little bit more and just kind of fine tune things for the more kind of power user, and professional user. So what was your initial reaction when you were at WordCamp US a couple of years ago and you heard the announcement of Gutenberg, did you have a, a moment of panic or did you immediately start planning on which direction to to take Beaver Builder in? Um, I mean, if I'm honest, the moment of panic probably rings uh, <laughs> rings a little bit more true. I think especially when Gutenberg was just an idea, there was a lot more concern that it was going to encroach on what we were doing or, you know, potentially, you know, why would anyone need a page builder if WordPress core has a page builder? But then as the project and, and as the tool developed, I think we all realized that, you know, for, I mean, Gutenberg is continuing to develop too. I think they're going to continue to to kind of move in the direction of a page builder or a full layout tool. But WordPress core always has kind of had this approach of like, you know, we're going to give you the bare minimum and let the third-party ecosystem take over the rest. And this is evident with all the, you know, plugins and themes. Like WordPress, there are things that belong in WordPress core and there are things that belong as, as third-party. So, and I think Gutenberg is, is always going to, they're trying to cater to this mass audience. I remember they're like one of the goals of Gutenberg was to increase WordPress's market share. And I don't think it, it's been said this way exactly, but, you know, assuming like taking, taking users away or users that otherwise would be using something like a Squarespace or a Wix and making it easier for them to publish on the web. Yeah, I've heard that from hosting companies we work with that the days of WordPress being in competition with other open source platforms are long, long gone. All the competition now comes from Wix, Weebly, Squarespace, and 
quite a few of the hosting companies were pretty open in admitting that they were winning, at least in terms of new audience adoption, and that Gutenberg is a response to try and keep up. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I've used this comparison a number of times now. I've, I feel like it's getting a little cliche, but you know, we'd like to see Gutenberg kind of like the Instagram, and whereas we'd like to live more in a Photoshop space, right? Like Instagram introduced a whole generation to photography and, and this idea of you know, like filters and contrast and tuning your photos, if you will. But it's still very kind of simplistic compared to what you can do with a professional photo editing tool. Well, I don't think you're alone in getting a quick moment of shock from some of these Gutenberg launches, or Gutenberg announcements at least. I saw the one of the upcoming phases of Gutenberg is going to be a multilingual setup inside, inside WordPress by default, which is probably putting the fear of God into <laughs> all the companies that make WordPress multilingual plugins. Yeah. yeah, we joked about that when the announcement was made at WordCamp US that we should go and you know buy the guys a beer over at like WPML and Polylang because we know exactly how they feel <laughs> when you hear that announcement that you know core is getting into your space but i mean similarly what what i got from that was that the core team and the core you know wordpress software I, my hope is that they were just going to make it easier for you know i don't, I don't think they're going to have a full well we could i could talk about this all day but i think they're going to make it same same kind of goes for the whole uh, collaborative piece like i don't think WordPress core is going to create a Google Docs similar experience when it comes to collaboration, but I think they can start building the pieces that third-party plugins would need to create that experience or make it easier for people to, to build on top of. Yeah, we've got a, a plugin in that space called PublishPress built on the old EditFlow plugin, and we've already started to notice in in the pull requests and the changes being made in, in Gutenberg, particularly that they're starting to work towards that. Some of the key publishing features with workflows have started to get shifted around or even removed perhaps in preparation. And I think today they just did a, an announcement on the WordPress.com side targeting publishing and workflows for magazines and newspapers. I think there's probably a monetization element in there as well. But I guess if you're, if you're in this business, the best you can say is, hey, they gave us two or three years advanced warning that they're going to do this. And that's plenty of time to get my business ready or to get my business in a new position to target a new audience. They told you guys two years in advance that uh, Gutenberg was coming for the editor. WPML and those guys, two years in advance, probably more. Yeah, yeah. That, I think that's one of the, I mean, there's benefits and downsides to leveraging a platform for your business. I mean, the other kind of obvious uh, example of that is is like the iPhone and the App Store. You know, if you're if you're building software for someone else's platform, you're always kind of at their whim, but you get all these built-in benefits of like the you know, the great community and the ability to focus on a niche and things of that nature. So and also, too, I think one thing we saw with Gutenberg is that the core software, being that it runs, you know, what, 30 plus percent of the internet now, they have to be a lot more deliberate and they're a lot slower to, to make changes and, and they can't make as large of changes as a company like us or as a smaller development shop can in terms of like the agility and, and you know, embracing new, like new technologies or new browser technologies, things of that nature. I think there's always going to be, be a space for, for smaller teams and, and third-party software to, to experiment and, and grow in. So did the main Gutenberg team ever reach out to you at any point to 
to get your feedback and talk about page builders in general or even to give you some heads up about where they were going? Yeah, yeah, they did. Like I mentioned, it was a little bit of like a shock when we heard them, uh, that, that initial announcement. But we've always been supporters of Gutenberg. I mean, I think the best case scenario for everyone is that Gutenberg is successful in the goal of increasing WordPress's market share. It's that saying, right, like the rising tide raises all boats kind of thing. You know, more users on WordPress is great for anyone that has a business in the WordPress space. You know, of course, our hope is that like once people kind of get turned on to this idea of using a visual design tool and they're looking for something more, that's where we can come in with, with Beaver Builder. But so yeah, we've always been supporters of the Gutenberg project and we were, we were involved in some of the discussions early on kind of in the planning and development phases. Uh, once the, the product and, or I keep saying product, once, once Gutenberg matured, we weren't involved so much in the development of it, but we got to do a lot of the kind of brainstorming with some of the team members. And then we're actually doing that right now again as Gutenberg moves into this phase two where they're dealing with like full site customization. One of our, our lead designer, Brent Jett, has been writing some fantastic, he, he calls them these kind of visual brainstorm blog posts talking about, you know, what theming can look like in a Gutenberg world and what, you know, like how WordPress and, and themes and, and design can evolve when you take Gutenberg into consideration, what that could all look like. So I don't know if you, if you do like a show note kind of thing, I'll send you a couple links. They're really great reads. Um, and we're excited to be back in that conversation again, because this is kind of like, kind of like we were saying too, this is the fun part, the creative part where you get to, to build and, and experiment. So part of dealing with a major shift in the market like this is to lean into it rather than to get nervous or perhaps run in a different direction. Part of what you're doing is actively getting involved in Gutenberg, trying to throw out ideas, trying to have an influence over where it goes to make it better. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think anytime, another, like, I feel like I have a bunch of one-liners today, but like another one I heard recently, or I forget where, but someone compared WordPress to like being in like this kind of puberty style, pubescent growth phase where, where WordPress is changing a lot, you know, but some of those changes are a little bit awkward and we're not really sure like what to do with them yet. But all of this like rapid change leads to a lot of opportunity, I and mean, we're already seeing it with the sort of block ecosystem that's that's blossoming. There's going to be plenty more business opportunity to leverage the new, you know, Gutenberg and, and what WordPress is becoming. Yeah, there's be a massive clear out of the old plugins that are never updated for for Gutenberg, and lots of opportunity for those that do support it or uh, extend it. Have you considered any kind of Beaver Builder Gutenberg integration, is it going to be an either-or choice or is there possibly going to be some block sharing between it? Um, what's your thought on that? Yeah, we initially, again, like going back to the, the kind of fun idea phase, we thought, you know, this idea of like, oh, short codes and widgets and everything getting replaced with blocks, that's great for us. We can just bring blocks into Beaver Builder and that's going to be a hunky-dory situation. It turned out that working with blocks outside of the scope of Gutenberg really wasn't doable. So we just like there, there's again some kind of rumblings from the core team in this in this space. And forgive me, this is getting a little bit outside of my expertise. These is getting kind of dev heavy. But basically, what the core team needs and what we need is an ability to kind of load an instance of a block or be able to edit blocks outside of Gutenberg, like outside of the scope of the Gutenberg editor. So I think this is coming up with menus in the, in the core team. Like if you want to work with a menu in the WordPress customizer or somewhere outside of the WordPress editor, i.e. Gutenberg, that's been a really difficult challenge. So 
we're hoping that the the core team kind of helps us solve this to make it easier because we'd love to be able to to leverage blocks in Beaver Builder, and then yeah, reversely, we have a short. I know short codes like they're kind of this like ah short codes are bad, but well I could go into why and all the, the, the mainly like we have a few short codes that allow you to use Beaver Builder content. Like let's say you've built out a row in Beaver Builder that is a like a uh, call out for a subscribe, like a newsletter subscription. So it's a row that says, hey, you know, get all of our posts in your inbox, put your email here and do that there. In Beaver Builder, you can save that row and then use it all over your site. You can pull it into different pages. And then we also have a short code that you can use to access those saved rows. And so you can currently use that short code in Gutenberg if you want to bring content or, or layouts that you've built in Beaver Builder into a Gutenberg page that's doable. We've thought about trying to make a basically a block interface that just hides the short code and gives you a little bit more of a user-friendly way of doing that. But we're still kind of in the air as to whether that's something that people want or would actually use. You know, currently, like, I think a lot of people that are using Gutenberg are using it to write blog posts. And it's rare that I've ever had a, a, like a time when I want to take a layout that I've built in Beaver Builder and kind of inject it into my blog post. So yeah, that that's something, that's an idea we've been playing around with. I think, again, yeah, we're still kind of waiting to see where all the dust uh, falls after the, the big Gutenberg impact to see where and how we want to leverage it. But we're definitely looking into ways that we can make the experience of building pages with Gutenberg and Beaver Builder better, uh, assuming that, you know, anyone that starts using WordPress now is going to be using Gutenberg and all of the, you know, existing sites out there are kind of slowly transitioning over as well. Yeah, we've started to notice that. Uh a big uptick in the last, perhaps since the turn of the year, of people having Gutenberg-related questions. It was almost as if December, no one was doing anything. Gutenberg launched, everything was, well, at least for us, everything was surprisingly quiet in December. Yeah. And then kicked off in January. Was that true with you? Yeah, yeah. Or I, I think both just in general, we find the holiday season to be a little bit slower, um, especially when we were doing client service work, you know, not a lot of people are thinking about building their new website in, uh, in December. They're thinking about, you know, roasting turkeys and seeing family and things of that nature. But then, the, yeah, the Gutenberg launch, I think there was so much kind of FUD, the fear, uncertainty, doubt around the launch and getting it into core. And there was like a lot of controversy and, and drama around the communication and the dates and all that. But then when that update actually went out, it seemed to be for the most part a non-event. I mean, there wasn't any major catastrophes. The, you know, 30% of the web didn't shut down or break and I think a lot of people had to kind of scramble to accommodate that date. And I think people, I mean, maybe the one like criticism I've heard that, that rings true is that it would have been nice if the communication was a little bit more clear so that people would have had enough time to plan. But yeah, it, it wasn't nearly as, as much of a kind of catastrophic situation as, as I think people worried it might be. So 2019 for, for you guys are the, on the Beaver Builder team, you're going to keep on working and following Gutenberg, you have a, a secret product <laughs> underway. Is there anything else we can expect from you? Anything big coming to Beaver Builder itself? You know, nothing like, no, there's nothing kind of major on our roadmap. I, I guess secret product feels so like, oh, I, I, <laughs> I hate things that are secrets. Or like, I think right now we're just trying to, to explore some ideas that we could eventually productize. But no, it's not like we have some like code name secret project that we're we're trying to uh, you know hide from the world. 
More just uh, getting back to being creative again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, definitely planning to continue improving and, and working on Beaver Builder, maintaining Beaver Builder, adding new features. I think we haven't really dug into this yet, but I think it's exciting to think about where themes are going to be. I mean, again, if, if Brent's articles have been talking a lot about theming and WordPress and, and you know, is the role of the theme going to change? I think there's a little bit more... You know, we want to kind of see how phase two of Gutenberg pans out before we make any investments in that space. But doing something in the theming space, I, th I think themes are going to drastically change. So there might be some opportunity there. But yeah, pretty much continuing, continuing as is, uh, just trying to create great experiences and, and build great products for people that are building on WordPress. And you personally, you're in Lake Tahoe now, yeah. just outside of California. Where are you up to next? Uh, next, I'm doing an event called Beach Press, which is similar to Cabo Press, right? But it's a co-working event for WordPress professionals. So it's, I think, maybe 20 or so of us uh, are getting a house on a beach in San Diego. And basically, it's like a co we're co-working. The goal, it's not a conference or there's not any kind of organized talks or schedules. It's like you go and you work, but then we're all going to have dinner together. It's... Uh, yeah, actually, now that I'm saying it all out loud, it's kind of a unique event. <laughs> but that's, yeah, so I'm going to be down in Southern California for that. And then uh, after that, it's all kind of up in the air. Cool. Well, it sounds exciting. Where can people follow you? Let's see. Our website is wpbeaverbuilder.com. Um, our blog's where I do most of my writing. And then we do all the social media stuff. Personally, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all those things uh, under my name, Robbie McCullough. I'll put links to those in the show notes. And also to your colleagues' uh, blog posts on the next phase of Gutenberg, which... Sounds really, really interesting. Excellent. Yeah, I'll shoot you the links on those. Uh, we've all been really impressed with the, the kind of thought and, and effort that he's been putting into those. And, and, where, and some of the ideas, I think, that are coming out of it are, are really exciting. Wonderful. All the best for 2019, Robbie. Thank you so much. Great talking, Steve.